Let's pray again together. Lord, what a sweet time that has been as we've been able to join together here with our brothers and sisters to take our minds off of ourselves, to remind us of you and your greatness, that you are mighty to save, that you are the God who is coming again in great glory and power and honor, and that you are a God who has served us and laid down your life for us. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes again to appreciate the wonders of a serving Savior, <clears throat> and we pray that you would so affect our hearts by the glories of the gospel once again that we would aspire to be like our Savior and to be willing to relinquish our tendency to want to be self-fulfilled and to focus everything on ourselves and to give ourselves in serving others for your glory. We pray these things, Lord, as we humbly look to you to do what only you can do, to take the foolishness of preaching and make it profitable for growth, for edification, and for saving grace to those who are lost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are, I would say, or I would suggest to you, there are two contrasting approaches to life that are rather profound in their opposite directions. One is the life that is pursued by those of us who are really committed to self-fulfillment and other people are viewed as useful in helping us accomplish or achieve or gain what we need from them. Or there's another approach to life that involves self-forgetfulness where we serve other people. And years ago, I read an illustration of these two different approaches that can be found in the Gospels. And I find it interesting to think about two contrasting bowls of water. And I want to apologize to our sound tech technicians here, the Starks, because I didn't think to put a microphone on. So I'm going to be walking over here. You're not going to hear me too well. But I'm not going to hold the mic and water at the same time. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to do that. But in Matthew's Gospel, we read that there's a fellow by the name of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the procurator of the Roman uh, area there, the Roman uh, uh, district. And he is presented early in the morning with a crowd coming, screaming, and mob is demanding that he take action. Action that he knows full well is something he wants nothing to do with. He is being urged to approve the condemning of a man who is perfectly innocent. And Pilate knows that. He's, perfect. He's convinced that Jesus has presented to him, and they're being asked if he needs to have uh, his life uh, taken from him, have a punishment. So what does he do? He takes a bowl of water, he washes his hands, and basically saying, hey, listen, I have nothing to do with this. I am uh, innocent of this man because I want you to know that's nothing that I want to take responsibility. And yet, in washing his hands, he's taking a public view of saying, I need your approval in order to stay in office. If I get a riot on my hands, I may not be here any longer. And so he is essentially using the washing of his hands to try to protect 
his political skin, his own position. He's trying to say, I'm going to give up Jesus, the innocent one, in order to save my skin so that I can keep my position of power and the area of what I desperately want to hold on to. This is the washing of your hands of someone who did the politically expedient thing. His approach to life was what? Using other people to advance his own self-focused agenda. Can't we all identify with that? At some point, we've all similarly washed our hands. We've all taken part in that bowl. And what a contrast to go to John's Gospel, chapter 13, in which we read of the gathering of Jesus and his disciples, and they're in an upper room, and they're gathered there in a social setting. A very significant feast is now beginning, Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. And so as they gather for that meal, something awkward has been left out. There's been no washing of feet. Everyone knows you wash your feet, and probably your hands, uh, before a meal is to be served. And so what does Jesus do? He, gets front, he, lift, he steps up from his position where he was. He walks over to this bowl, and I'm imagining it probably was a, uh, a clay bowl, I would imagine. But anyway, we're going to make believe it's a woodman. And he gets down and probably puts his hands in the water with these dirty feet and washes the feet. Meanwhile, his disciples are literally shocked. They are in disbelief. They are obviously aghast that the one who is their rabbi, the one who is their teacher, the one who is indeed more than that, he is their ruler, he is the king of kings, here he is down on the floor doing the responsibilities of the person who usually has the lowest level of dignity of that particular, the lowest level of social standing, if you will, in that culture, the household servant. And the disciples are just, can't make sense of it. Here is Jesus who selflessly serves those that he loves. He meets a need that they had together. He takes the basin and uses it for not his own benefit, but for the benefit of those he deeply cares about. And in so doing, he has provided to his disciples, and he, and he made sure to point that out to them, I'm giving this to you as a helpful, practical example of the kind of serving that love often should be characterized by. Selfless service. We are in a series now in the summer months on the reciprocal principles, the reciprocal commands of the New Testament, which are really the one another commands trying to help us see what does it mean to really love our brothers and sisters? What does it mean to really put love into action? And so these are helpful ways of trying to flesh that out for us a little bit to help us to see it, to understand it, to see how practical it is. And really what we're trying to say is that the love, like we're describing in these reciprocal commands, is really supposed to come as the overflow of hearts that have been deeply changed and transformed by the love of Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we begin with the question this morning, which basin represents more accurately the general approach that you take to life? Which basin is more likely the one that you would go to more frequently in how you deal with people and situations around you? Is it the basin of selfish service or is it the basin of selfless service to others. Well, if you have your Bible, I'd like to encourage you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, the fifth chapter of Galatians, 
Galatians, uh, page 1388 in your pew Bible, or in a quick little point or two in your tablet, Galatians chapter 5. Just want to read two verses here, verses 13 and 14. Of course, this book in its greater theme is a call from Paul to encourage the believers there in Galatia not to be duped into the false teaching that was going around that meant they had to do all the things written in the Old Covenant in order to be right with God in addition to Christ, but no, there he's encouraging them to trust Christ alone. And faith alone, grace alone, uh, is the only way to be saved. For, verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, let's try to first of all clarify this, their calling that we have as followers of Christ that it's true that you got to serve somebody. As Bob Dylan years ago wrote the song, Got to Serve Somebody. We're all going to serve ourselves or we're going to serve other people and thus serving Christ. Well, if we back up and we think about what life is like apart from the gospel, when we think about life in terms of just people and the way they naturally op operate in our world, obviously all of us share a pursuit, a passionate pursuit as members of the human race, we really desire to do as we please, don't we? I mean, when you boil it all down, the general desire of our hearts is, I want to do what I want to do. Don't get in my way. And if you're in my way, I'm going to make sure you get out of my way so I can do what I want to do. And so the book of Judges, obviously, nothing's new under the sun. And so we find even in the history of the children of Israel, that there's a commentary on this basic orientation. And anybody whose hearts are not gripped or affected or changed by the gospel, Judges 17 says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They just do their own thing. They do what is right to them. And of course, the widely held belief now among many in our generation of postmodernists is that they're Indeed, is an inherent right we all have to do whatever we want as long as no one gets hurt, supposedly. Although that's very questionable as well, because many people can get hurt. The person says, well, um, that's just too bad. I need to do what I have to do. But many of us enjoy and value other people as long as they give us what we think we need or want. In other words, I'll endure you, I'll put up with you, I'll... I'll uh, have uh, some sort of relationship with you as long as it helps me get what I need or want. And of course, in our society, self-indulgence is just hugely celebrated. And that is indeed the, the logical consequence of many people who deep down have, have decided and concluded that there are no absolute anymore in our world. There's no absolute truth in the minds of many people. And therefore, they think it's very reasonable to celebrate the freedom that they think should be theirs to choose their own way of living, to, to have their own autonomy, to call the shots in their life, and so to choose what they think is best for them. 
And so they seek to oftentimes invest a lot of energy into seeking to elevate their view of themselves. They are told over and over and over, you need to have more and better and greater self-esteem. And that's why things aren't going too well in this world. And so they continually are trying to elevate their view of themselves. And unfortunately, they continually frown on those who in some way, in any way, try to make moral judgments on anything someone may say or do. They essentially are pursuing a life characterized by self-fulfillment. You often, unfortunately, if that's what you pursue, if that's the direction that you're aiming in, I'm looking for the freedom to do whatever I want, to live for whatever makes best sense to me. They're pursuing this life of freedom. However, in that pursuit of freedom, they don't realize it, but they've been deceived because it really does lead to some forms of bondage. It leads to the lack of freedom. Jesus said in John chapter 8 that everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Think about that for a moment. Those who pursue a life of doing your own thing, of disregarding any concern about God and his standards, his morals, his laws, they seek to operate apart from God. They think that's the life of freedom and liberation. Jesus says it's just the opposite. What would happen if someone was riding on one of these jet skis? Everybody know what a jet ski is? It's one of those uh, boats that is like a boat for one or two people, has an inboard motor and it has handles here and, and it just skids along the, the water propelling you forward and you sort of sit up in this thing. Imagine if someone is operating that and he's going all over the place enjoying the water whatever and then he decides, you know, I want absolute freedom. I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to ride it right up the, the boat launch ramp and I'm going to operate this thing all over on the the park there and on the side, the ground, whatever, and take it in the woods. How far is he going to get? Maybe about, what, three feet and screech to a halt on the boat launch. It's not designed to operate that way. There is no freedom when we go outside the bounds of how we have been designed to operate as people made in the image of God. So fallen man, no matter how often he insists on his autonomy and independence, he becomes a slave of his self-focused sinful nature. And a life of self-focused service does not sound very appealing. Sorry, a life of selfless service to other people does not sound very appealing to a person who is desperately needing the approval of other people around him or her. Or the person who is enslaved to this attempt to somehow gain approval or gain adequacy from other people by looking a certain way or achieving to a certain level of performance or experiencing certain levels of pleasure. They, they desperately long for these things and they don't find true freedom because what they're going to find is they'll never find that adequately from other people. That's why Jesus said he is the true liberator. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. What's he saying? Free from ourselves free from our attempt to try to find adequacy only in ourselves and defining it by ourselves. One of the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ affirms the fact that Jesus alone can break the chains of our devotion, if, if you will, our worshipful obsession with ourselves. We really are all wrapped up in ourselves, aren't we? 
How in the world do we ever reverse our tendency to obsess over our own kingdom, our own reputation, our own successes in comparison to other people? We're constantly thinking and processing ourselves in comparison to other people around us. And the gospel of Jesus Christ frees us from this heavy burden of trying to measure up by looking better and acting better and achieving more or failing less. The gospel says that Jesus did what we were unable to do. Jesus obeyed perfectly. Jesus, in love, laid aside his own needs, his own concerns, and he took on himself the punishment for our moral shortcomings. And when he gave himself on that cross and provided to us a gospel that is truly life-transforming. It liberates us from the slavery of self-justification, of trying to measure up to God, even through other people. And now has granted us the freedom of knowing that we are owned by God, the security of knowing that we are children of God, been adopted by Him and loved by Him and approved by Him and accepted by Him entirely, completely on the basis of grace. Indeed, the thought of somehow moving from a self-fulfilled and self-absorbed life to thinking about moving toward a life that is serving of other people is totally dependent on understanding the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ applied to our hearts, reminding us that what? Only our understanding of the love, the self-giving love of God in Christ is the only thing that can change our hearts and from our hearts make us want to serve other people. It is indeed the key. And of course, one of the ways to, serve, to love other people, as Jesus taught his disciples, was to serve. Did you catch that passage there in Mark chapter 10? Jesus is teaching his followers there in Mark 10. He says, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. What's going on there? Whoever wants to be great. Do you hear that that's the attempt on the part of those in the hearts of his own followers they're trying to use other people to what? Be a stepping stone to get to where they really want to be, the places of greatest honor and glory, positions of privilege. He said, whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus, in his incarnation, in his crucifixion, expressed the ultimate in selfless love, self-giving love. He used his freedom to honor the will of his Father. He laid aside what was rightfully his, the position of honor that was his in heaven, all the glory, all the honor that was designed for him to enjoy, or the position of, high, of highest honor there at the gathering with his disciples in the upper room. It's his position of honor to enjoy and have somebody wait on him. And yet he takes on the position of the role of a bond slave, washing feet dirty feet. He literally laid down his life for his subjects who were enslaved in sin. That's why Romans chapter 15 verse 3 summarizes this amazing attribute of our Savior when Paul makes the comment that Jesus Christ did not please himself. What a contrast on this side versus this approach to life. Again, Jesus' heart was not set on the pursuit of self-fulfillment. He redeemed those who repent and believe upon him at great cost to himself so that 
we might be liberated from being self-serving, self-absorbed people to becoming Christ-serving people. I've been thinking about the confrontation that Jesus had with Saul, the Pharisee, on his way to Damascus. And he stops Saul in his tracks. He humbles him by a blinding light. Saul's down on the ground, hears a loud voice, and he says, Saul, Saul, calling his name twice is not a good thing. When Jesus is calling your name twice, not a good thing. Martha, Martha, there's a number of times, Peter, Peter, not a good thing. Hear your name twice. It's like when your mother called you by your first name, middle name, and last name, you know you've got some serious things to answer for. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? And he was busy persecuting many, many followers of Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? So that he closely associates himself with the people that Saul was persecuting. Isn't it interesting to think that through and understand that if you and I have hearts that transform by the gospel and we begin to serve other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ, we are serving Christ as we give ourselves in humble helpfulness to the needs of those around us. I don't know if you have your notes in front of you, but I have some microscopic quotes that are there. And I apologize for how small they are, but I don't know how many of you need room to write or if you need larger print. But anyway, I'm going to read these things to you. There are quotes from a helpful little booklet by Tim Keller. It's really little, it's not even, I don't know if you want to call it a book. It's, uh, it's about, uh, I don't know, 40 pages. And a very helpful book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. Highly recommend you read that. Very, very, uh, I should get some for the book table. Here's what he says. Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself. In other words, once I understand the gospel and how it frees me from my need to find adequacy and to try to improve my, my standing before God and other people by using other people, it frees me to stop thinking about myself all the time. Not needing to connect things with myself. It is an end to thoughts such as, well, here I am in this room with these people. Does that make me look good? Do I want to be here? Instead, the true gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself, and that is the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Isn't it wonderful to be set free from yourself? Just all the time thinking about yourself? And then I adapt a quote here, just trying to fill in where the context of where he's been. This second quote, because of the gospel verdict, that we are adopted by God into his family and we are well-pleasing to him because of Jesus' perfect righteousness imputed to us by faith, I therefore can perform on the basis of that verdict. Because God loves me and he accepts me, I do not have to do the things, do things just to build up my resume. I do not have to do things to make me look good. I can do things for the joy of doing them. I can help people to help people. Not so that I can feel better about myself, not so I can fill up emptiness. I'm telling you, it is amazing when you think of how the gospel sets us free to operate in a totally liberating way of saying, I want to serve you because I am so thankful and grateful to God because he set me free. 
I had a wonderful conversation yesterday uh, at a social gathering at a birthday party uh, with uh, Peggy Hendrickson. I hope I'm not embarrassing her, but I think this is a good thing. She was just saying, having been a person who had cancer earlier in her life and seeing the Lord sustain her through this in a wonderfully amazing way, a rather miraculous way in many ways. And she's talked about the fact that having been through this experience of almost losing her life or knowing that many people have lost their life who had the cancer she's had, she says, my heart, just out of gratitude, I want to serve. I want to do something for somebody. I want to do something for Christ because look what he's done. He's given me another day. He's given me another week. He's given me the opportunities to serve. I thought that's such a wonderful, wonderful reminder of how the gospel changes the whole dynamics of why we do what we do. And doing it out of joy, doing it out of love, doing it out of a sense of gratitude, not to try to gain a, a really nice looking resume of look at me and see what I'm doing. Isn't that amazing? Watch me, notice me, and be sure to give me 10 different pats on the back and no, mention me on your Facebook post. It's not about that. It's about a heart that's operating out of selfless love. Well, let's just take a few minutes then and think about this character of mutual service. I have a couple of observations. Again, these are just the way my mind works sometimes, but uh, hopefully they'll be helpful in trying to sort of expand on this a little bit to help us think it through. What's the character of mutual service, point number two? Well, when it comes to serving other people, it's important to keep in mind that it's, there's, there's certain character traits about true service that is honoring to God. First of all, I would say that mutual service that honors God is voluntary. Voluntary. Notice that the text there in Galatians 5 says, in love, serving one another. The text does not say, in love, bring people into subjection until they serve you. It doesn't say that. Serving one another cannot be imposed by other people. It is self-imposed. Better yet, it is imposed by the Holy Spirit. Mutual service cannot be demanded by each other as brothers and sisters. None of us owns the other person. You are not my slave. I, have not, I don't have total control or dominion over you as my brother and sister. We are not slaves to each other. We are slaves of Christ. We are servants of Christ. We are bond slaves of Christ. Therefore, each believer is to make good use of their freedom in Christ and find ways to serve other believers by following the leading of the Holy Spirit. No one should be forcing you to serve them. Please hear me on that. I remember one time I was sitting down in my study with a couple who were coming to talk to me about getting married. As it turns out, I chose not to get involved in marrying this couple for various reasons, but uh, there they were talking, and uh, both were explaining their situation, and the gentleman kept saying, I just want you to know, the Bible says that you, as, as when you get married to me, you need to obey me and submit to me. And he kept harping on that. I mean, he just kept going at that time and time again to the point where I was kept wa waiting to see how she responded to that. She didn't say a word. I said, we got some problems here. So I piped in, and I said, uh, Sir, I think you're missing what the nature of, the, of that passage that you keep alluding to in Ephesians 5. I think you're missing the point here. I said the point of the passage is 
not the husband insisting that his wife submit to him. It is the husband uh, focusing on loving his wife as Christ loved the church. His response was about as noisy as your response just that second. He, he didn't say a word. But the point was, again, it's not our calling to tell people and insist on and enforce their service of us. That's not what this text is about. There's a freedom here that the service is voluntary. And that's why it's so powerful, because it's not mandated that you have to serve me um, based on what I'm telling you you have to do. That we're following Christ's lead, his guidance, his help. Therefore, the serving of each other, out of, done out of love, is done not out of obligation or intimidation. It's done with an open heart, a heart that loves, a heart that wants to give of oneself. Secondly, I would just say that mutual service also must be and should be universally applied to all of the members of the body of Christ. Uh, Paul nowhere here in this particular text is putting an asterisk by certain people who are exempt from this particular command. Therefore, there would be some sort of maybe special class of people who um, you know, are on a higher level of hierarchy and so therefore it doesn't apply to them. There's no thought there of that of, of at all. There are no lords in the church other than Jesus Christ who is Lord. And so all the followers of Christ, including pastors and elders and deacons and whoever's in responsibility of leadership within the church, they are to be mutually serving each other. That applies to us and those who are not in leadership positions. And may I again just say, as I've just alluded to before, that's also true of anybody who claims to be the head of a home, that that headship is to be characterized by serving leadership. Not a lorded over leadership, but a serving leadership that says, here, I'm here to help, I'm here to assist, I'm here to give of myself to make sure your needs are being addressed and you're receiving the kind of encouragement and help you need. It's interesting to notice that Jesus' comments, I don't know if you have ever caught that, that the two different bowl illustrations I've used here <clears throat> this morning, uh, this one in Matthew's gospel, I'm sorry, in, in Mark's gospel when he talks about Jesus came to, to serve, not to be served, but to serve, and Jesus' teaching on the fact, both of them should be in this bowl, sorry, <clears throat> his, his uh, demonstration of that selfless love in John chapter 13, both of them were statements he made in the context of his disciples who were beginning to compete against each other for the positions of greatest honor and privilege. Isn't it interesting how Jesus speaks to that and brings in the idea of humble service? Because let's be honest, our greatest struggle is our pride that continually leads us to want to look out for number one, and then we sometimes are more concerned with other people occasionally. But the greatest concern, of course, is that humility needs to be anchored to an accurate view of ourselves from God's point of view. And that's why the gospel is so important. Gospel affirms that we are deeply loved, accepted, and that we are um, approved of by God because of Christ. And therefore, we don't need to gain anything from anybody else. We therefore can serve freely. Let me just say again, as a parent and as someone who is uh, been privileged to have parents who have taught me many things when I was young. How important it is to teach children uh, 
to be serving and to serve with a right heart as best we can to address a heart uh, attitude as they do so, but to encourage our children to serve within our homes so that everybody in our family is serving. I remember uh, my dear wife uh, encouraging our daughter, Catherine, when she was, I don't know, two years of age, three, or three years of age. She's able to stand on a chair. You knew she wasn't going to fall off. So she's standing on a kitchen chair, and she was given the opportunity to put the silverware away in the silverware drawer. Spoons go here, forks here, knives here. What? There's no real sharp knives, obviously, but you know, just the regular silverware. And I thought to myself, what a great way to start this whole process of encouraging children to take on responsibilities, find areas where they can serve other members of the family. Now, of course, in our own lives, there are many areas of where service, it's all around us. There are areas to serve all around us. It comes in the wintertime when there's needs to shovel out the, the driveway of the elderly person next door. It's, it's with single mothers who constantly are in need of additional help and assistance in just trying to get through the long list of things they have to tackle every day. There are people all around us who have areas in which we can serve. And so part of the service that God, I trust, will work in our hearts is that we will not focus on trying to find and gain for ourselves a life of comfort where we're never inconvenienced and never drawn out of our patterns and our, our schedules, but that we are people who are willing to serve. And that brings me to my next point. Another area of character of mutual service is its personal nature. In other words, I want to, by this I mean that service is not intended to be abstract or somehow theoretical. We talk about serving. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. But what is serving in this generalized term? How does that relate to a whole pile of dirty dishes in a kitchen sink? We can talk about, I really have a heart to serve and, do, and walk right past the kitchen sink and miss the two connections of those particular areas of thought. Mutual service is performed in the realm of everyday life in a fallen world where things don't always work right, people aren't always healthy and strong, and where we are trying to respond to the needs of real people. Now, obviously, foot washing is something I don't expect a lot of us to be doing this particular week, right? I mean, you might wash your own feet, but I don't expect you to wash somebody else's feet. We all have, uh, we're blessed to have uh, running indoor water. We have uh, ability to take frequent showers. We don't wear shoes that have sandals and on unpaved paths. But there are countless other acts of helpful service that we can do for others around us. And mutual service is not merely learning about the needs of other people as it's a, just an intellectual exercise. We need to do that. We need to be sensitive. We need to be aware. We need to be thinking through the implications of what does this look like in this person's life and get out of our own way of thinking to think, let me get in this person's shoes and wonder, what is it like to deal with that scenario day by day by day? What are they facing? It takes that, but it takes the next step, and that is to say, how can I get involved practically in that area? It's not just merely having good intentions, and James speaks to this very clearly in James chapter 2. Listen to how practical he makes this. If a brother or sister is without clothing, 
which in my mind means they are destitute and incredibly poor. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, that's not a non-negotiable, that's a basic life need. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In other words, just saying thoughts, saying kind words, or thinking kind things in your head is not enough. Serving one another makes love visible so that everybody can see its beauty. And so again, maybe one of the things that you can do if you're a husband or father is to give that young mother in your home an opportunity to take a nap. She's probably extremely tired and sleep deprived or giving her time just to do something she wants to do that does not involve the children or work around the house or her other form of employment perhaps. There's constant needs to serve when it comes to food preparation. If indeed you do prepare your food, that's an assumption. Someone else, you're not expecting all the time to make your food for you, but uh, food preparation and cleanup is a constant area where, that, where service can be displayed. And many, many other practical ways we as a church family can serve, including this particular week in serving in the realm of ministering to our community and vacation Bible school, and areas in which we say, I'm willing to help, I'm willing to serve, I'm willing to try to offer my assistance in order to present Christ to those who do not know him. And that leads me then to my last thought here. Another characteristic or trait of true service, God-honoring, humble service, is it's going to require self-sacrifice. At some point along the way, we're going to find ourselves in a situation in which to serve means it's going to require my time. It's going to require me stopping the things that I normally do and changing my patterns and giving up some time and some of my moments. I'm going to have to modify my calendar. I'm going to have to find time to get involved in something that normally I wouldn't be spending time on. But I need to be somewhat flexible, somewhat available on some level. I'm not saying you have to respond to every single need in the world. Please don't hear me saying that. But on some level, if you never have time to help serve somebody else, that might indicate maybe you're taking too much on your plate. So the first question I want to leave us with, or one of the last questions I guess I'll leave us with uh, today is, is your heart sensitive and perceiving some of the needs of people around you? Are you able to think and look and know other people well enough to know, well, here's an area that they may, perhaps they may have a need. I'm going to offer to do this for them. Are you making yourself available to assist or help other people to serve them as you serve Christ? Are you willing to say, here, I've got some talents, I have some abilities to do some things, or I have some time I can give you, I have a car, I could take you for a ride somewhere, I have some resources that I don't have to have in order to meet my monthly obligations, I'm willing to help share that through the Benevolent Fund or some other practical way. Many of us, I think, unfairly and wrongly assume that serving other people only pertains to people who are highly skilled and who are highly gifted. But that's not the case at all. Look at what Jesus did. Jesus used the example of grabbing the basin, getting down on the floor, and he did something that was the, one of the most menial tasks that could be done in that society. 
It didn't require sophisticated education. didn't require a lot of training. It just required what? A heart that says, I'm willing to give to others and serve and try to meet a need that people have that no one's meeting. And so I'm hoping and praying that as we go through this week, we're all going to think about having a heart that's willing to serve, hands that are available to give a hand to somebody in need, and that our thoughts of how gracious God has dealt with us, how wonderful the service we receive from Christ is, that we'll say, Lord, I just want to serve you somewhere. Show me where that is this week. Let's pray. I want to encourage you to take a moment here before I pray. And I'd like you to take, if you have a pencil or pen available, take a, just a pen or pencil and just pull your bulletin out or a piece of paper and record on it some specific way in which you could offer yourself to serve Christ by serving someone else. I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm saying I want you to see if the Lord will bring to your heart out of your own sense of the Spirit's prompting an area where you could say, Lord, I just want to serve in this way. The scriptures remind us in 1 Peter chapter 4, whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God provides. In other words, God is supposed to be the one that's motivating you and prompting you to want to take these actions. And so I'd like you to think of some specific thing this week that God by his spirit would lead you to serve. And as you do so, I hope you'll make you think about Christ and think about Jesus down on his knees with a basin washing feet. And may it, think, may, may it draw your thoughts to how wonderful Christ's serving love is for you. And at this time, I'd like to ask all those who are volunteering and have been trained and you're participating in Vacation Bible School, would you just stand for just a second? I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to ask everybody else to stand in just a second. So if you're involved in VBS any way, any capacity, whatever you're doing, volunteer, teacher, whatever, just stand if you would right where you are. Father in heaven, I thank you for the wonders of your gracious love that served us in such a selfless Savior. And we thank you, Lord, that we have a wonderful gospel, wonderful love of God to share with other people. And I pray, Father, this week as we go through the five days of Vacation Bible School, I pray, Lord, you would fill, your, fill the hearts of all those who are standing here with your love. I pray, Lord, that they would be strengthened with your strength as they seek to serve this week. We pray that you would help them to have compassionate hearts of those that they are seeking to help, all the children who are involved. We pray, Father, that this service would bring glory to your name and bring the gospel and much good to those who they are endeavoring to serve. We pray, Father, that you might characterize this Vacation Bible School with a great sense of the love of Christ operating in every aspect. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, would everyone else just stand, please?